This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information. Welcome to the Arden Labs podcast. Our special guest today is Thorsten Ball. Thorsten, thanks so much for coming on and hanging out with us today. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. Quite happy to be here. Where are you talking to us from today? Oh, um, from my office in Germany, where I live in a small town near Frankfurt. So right in the middle of Germany. Yeah, I'm looking out on my uh, really bad lawn, but it's quite sunny out today. So yeah. If I go to Germany, I've only been to Berlin, and I love Berlin. I, I wouldn't even mind hanging out there for a year, but I really haven't seen the rest of Germany. Are you, okay, yeah, Berlin's awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a special city in Germany, right? Like there's there's Berlin, and then there's the rest of Germany. So yeah, <laughs> that's what I've there. heard. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I haven't visited any other city in Germany yet. So you should. Go to Munich. I need a reason. I need like a conference or uh, I don't know. You need like, I need a business reason. Let me, I'll, I'll find you a reason and then we'll meet <laughs> up in a workshop right. or conference. All right, so, so tell, tell everybody what you're doing right now. Like what, what keeps you busy during the day every week? I'm a staff engineer at Sourcegraph, where we build code search and a code intelligence platform. And I've been there for nearly four years now, working remotely from Germany. It's an all remote company where I use Go mainly in my day-to-day -day coding. Um, but in my spare time, I like to play around with compilers, interpreters. Like I think it's been six years now that you know the compiler bug has bitten me and it led me down a rabbit hole that uh, you know led to me writing and self-publishing two books on the topic. The first one was called, or is called, Writing and Interpreting Go, which I self-published in 2016. And then I followed it up with Writing a Compiler in Go, which I self-published in 2018. And then... Turns out I still couldn't shake the whole thing. So I, you know, even after writing a, a, a bytecode compiler and a virtual machine, I thought there's something more. I need to build an optimizing compiler, you know, because that's that's what all the textbooks, you know, are about, or the the the, the big middle section of the textbooks is about. So since I guess it's, you know, it was my pandemic side project, but it's, I, I think it's been two years now I've been hacking on a optimizing compiler, uh, this time in Rust because I also wanted to get a bit into Rust. And, you know, I've been building this with all of the optimizations or a bunch of them with SSA, internal representations, blah, 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 all of that fancy stuff. So yeah, that's, that's what I do in my spare time. Did you name your language anything? It's like this language you're writing compilers for, right? Like you have your own syntax. Did you name this language? Yeah. So the first one from the books, it's the two books use the same language. So it's actually you, you write code in the first book and then in the second book, you use the same code base and add more. And the language you build in those two books is called monkey, uh, which 
I want to say I have a de- <laughs> there's a really <laughs> important reason behind this, but it's just I I think monkeys are funny and there's no other language called monkey. Actually, uh, now that we talk about this, I think I wanted to call it tiger first, but there's a book which I'm looking at right now called Modern Compile Implementation in ML, which uses or builds a language called tiger. So tiger was off the table. So then it became monkey. And then for my uh, toy compiler that I'm working on right now in Rust, uh, the language is called Toucan, like the the exotic bird. But I learned two weeks ago, I misspelled the name. Uh, there's, an, there's an O in the name, in the English spelling of the word, which I didn't know. So yeah, it's Toucan. I think that makes it cooler now, dude. Like you, like don't tell anybody you made a mistake. Yeah. Like that was yeah. conscious. Like you did that on purpose. But I like the idea of monkey lang. I'm a monkey develop. Like I write monkey code. That that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is cool. Everybody outside the engineering <laughs> department will look at you and go like, "Really? This is this is what your introduction is?" But sure. <laughs> it, it, it's no no worse than saying you're a gopher. I'm a monkey. Like, right. I'm a gopher, right? Yeah. Like, Lustation. I don't think it's any any worse or better or different than that. So I I, I kind of like that. That's kind of cool. Sorry, I, I I really like I don't know putting some fun and nonsense into all of this. You know, it it shouldn't be all serious, one hundred percent, super academic. Like calling it monkey is nice in the in toucan. The keyword that I use to define a function is funk with a K. You know, like putting the funk back into program languages. So I like if people put nonsense stuff like this in, in languages. All right, we're going to get back to that. Uh, but I, I really want to kind of explore your journey through tech. Um, Sourcegraph is an amazing company with amazing people. and They're doing amazing work. And I love to hear that you're over there um, helping with that product. So I definitely want to get to that stuff as well. But I want to kind of jump you in the time machine a little bit and get a sense of how you ended up here at Sourcegraph and, and writing compilers. That sounds pretty cool. I'd love, I, I want to hear that story. So, but before we start, um, I'd like to try to get a general sense of time here. So I know the school system in Germany is different than the U.S., but you have great school. Um, you know, that school right before you have to make a choice about higher education. So kind of what year did you graduate from your, say, grade school? Let me, let me try to get my dates in order here. So I didn't, I didn't graduate from any college. So yeah, pre-college, pre-college, pre-college. Yeah, but, but, okay. So, so, um, I graduated high school, then I did some work and travel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wait, I don't, I, I don't want you to talk about that just yet. I just, I, I just want to know kind of what year you graduated. That's like oh, when you're like 16, like 2000, 17, like what year? Yeah, 2007. This is when. 2007. Okay, so your, your high school, you, that, that higher level grade school, 2000. Okay, that's what I want to know. It just gives us kind of an idea of what technology was like when you were, how old yeah, were you then? Point. Like 17, 17? Uh, 18. I, I got my driver's license, yeah. 18. Okay, so you're 18 in 2007. That kind of sets sets a technology stage for us here as, as we're listening to your story. And then here here is my favorite question. I love asking uh, people this question. 
without thinking too hard, first thought enters into your mind when you were working on a computer. The first time that you kind of worked on a computer and your, and your whole brain went, oh my God, this is so cool. Sixth grade, when I was 12, um, I snuck into or asked my older sister, pestered my older sister to let me in her computer science class after school class. And our, this was my math teacher teaching this class. And we used Microsoft front page 97, I think, or I think that was the last version at that time. And we, um, he showed us how to make websites. And for me, the, the moment I realized, oh, this is, this is, this is what the other websites are under the hood too. Like it's all HTML. I can do this. You know, that was fantastic moment. And I still think it's a wonderful thing about software. Like you, you can't sure, you know, you have, the big companies have amazing tooling like Google and Facebook and whatever, but it's still underneath it. It's the same stuff, right? It, it's not, they, they, you know, they have access to some material that you cannot afford. You can still build software like the big companies do. And so this was in sixth grade and we modified websites or built our own website. And then he showed us, this was, I'm sure you remember this, it was called DHTML. I, I don't know exactly yeah. why they yeah. call it that, but it was basically JavaScript and HTML. And you had like JavaScript applets and stuff like that. And the main thing that I really enjoyed was you had a, a, like a JavaScript snippet, put it on your website, and then you could move your cursor around and like little blue balls would follow that cursor around. And, and there was some, you know, air quotes physics here where <laughs> you have a trail of balls following the cursor around. And just tweaking this, and getting immediate feedback, we're like, oh, I you know, bumped the number from 10 to 20. Suddenly the distance between these balls is double. Oh, nice. You know, let's try this again. And I got hooked on this. I really got hooked. And then at, at parent-teacher conference, <laughs> my math teacher told my mom, you know, he should, he's good at programming JavaScript, but he should really also invest some time in math. Yeah. <laughs> I love this story because what... What you said was, no no other guest has kind of said this, but I think everybody feels it. It's this moment where you said, you know what, I can do that. Like, like, like you opened up the, the hood and you were like, oh, wait a second. That's kind of all there is. Like, I can learn that. That's, that's super cool. So you got to hang out in that class, essentially, that, yeah, that exactly. year. Yeah, yeah. And I could, yeah, and there were two... Two older guys in there, they showed me to, you know, showed me what IRC channels are. And then I kind of hung around on the internet more and got hooked on that stuff. But you're in sixth grade, dude. So is this, this wasn't, was this the school you attended to? Was the sixth grade and the seventh, eighth, night? was everybody in this one school? Well, yeah, no, well, there's like uh, different levels, like after fourth grade in Germany, you have to either go depending on your grades, like there's, uh, the, it's called gymnasium. That's a better one than in the middle one. And then low one, I was in that better one, um, barely. So, <laughs> but yeah, sixth grade, this was like, nobody else from my class was in this. This was for eighth graders. And I asked my sister, so it was lucky coincidence that I, that was at that you know place at that time. So then like the next year, after that, 
you were still going into this classroom or was it the same material? So you're kind of bored? No, it was just, it was really just a one, one year experimental thing. And I think then, I think even like two years later, my class, they also had a class like this, but then it was basic, like programming and basic, if I remember correctly. And it was, um, uh, you know, like simple games where like you have to guess a letter or something. And that didn't hook me as much as the websites where you had like this really tangible thing in front of you. And in the years between, I managed to figure out how to do, you know, what hosting is, what an FTP is, where I put my stuff and, you know, running into all of these problems like, oh, if I upload this and I send my dad the URL, he doesn't see the same fonts that I see because they're not installed on his computer and stuff like this. And you know, couldn't afford a real domain, so I had to get one of those free domains. And But were you doing this? I'm curious because you, you take this class at 12, you kind of get hooked in, but then it's not available to you anymore, really, right? So how are you continuing that work? Did you get a computer at home? Did you, were you allowed access to the lab? Like, I'm kind of curious how you kept it going. So my parents were always really um, open to technology. Like we had our family ordered the first thing online in 1998 from, might've been Amazon, I'm not sure, but it was the, the box set of the Star Wars remastered edition something. And, you know, my mom switched to online banking pretty early on because she runs a business, you know, she did email really early on. So we had like a family computer. And then I think in sixth grade, I got one of the old computers from my mom's office or something. And then that was in the basement. And then I think only like a couple of years later, I was allowed to have internet access in my room. You know, it was, you had to go to this room and then use it there. Wow. All right. So you, you, you had that technology in the house kind of early on. So you had a place to, they, they, they really encouraged it. You know, they really trusted me with this in the sense that, yeah, like here, here's the laptop. You can play around with this. It, it was, there was no supervision basically, I guess, you know, without internet access, there's only so much you can get exposed to. Um, but there was a lot of trust and a lot of, um, they took me seriously with this. So when I was, 13, 14, 15, they came to me and asked me questions like, hey, can you help me figure out this stuff about the computer? And that to me was also a game changer because when you're 13, nobody takes you seriously in, in a lot of the you know, grown-up conversations. But suddenly you could feel, oh, they're serious about this. They really want me to fix this. So yeah, they, they really encouraged me. Do you have any sort of story where you broke the computer in some form and started panicking a little bit, like, how am I going to tell my parents this isn't working anymore? Because you're working on an early age and I'm sure you're starting to dissect it. Did you have one of those like really scary moments? <laughs> I had a bunch of those with my own computer um, where, you know, I, this was when I was 16, 17, I ordered a new AMD Athlon something CPU and I, me and my friend would try to put it in my main board and I broke off one of the pins, you know, just first try one of the oh, pins. Oh yeah, my exactly. God. I, oh man. 
So you had that, to put that the old one. That was the only time in my life that I actually threw something against the wall because <laughs> I was so angry with myself. And then, you know, like, so I had this other friend who basically introduced me to Linux when I was 14 years old. Like we were in, you know, sports class and both of us didn't want to do any sports. And we just talked about computers and he's like, have you tried Linux? And, you know, if this evokes the, the picture of somebody trying to sell somebody else something forbidden on the schoolyard, this is exactly what it was. Like, <laughs> hey, you want to try Linux? I can give you, you know, the CD. You can boot up Red Hat. Uh, I don't know which version. But so I got hooked onto Linux. And then we had these, you know, moments like, oh, we go from Red Hat, which is considered the easy one, to Debian, for example. And where you had only had like the, the terminal UI to install it, the, the blue and green and black one. And yeah, there were many times, I think two or three times where I accidentally wiped my hard drive and there were no, you know, there were no backups. You know, it was like the, the 20 gigabytes, the, the biggest hard drive I've ever had full of, I don't know what stuff like movies and games and music and whatnot wiped while in, trying to install Linux on a, on a partition or something. And we just looked at each other like, is it gone? And oh yeah, it's gone. So that's, you, you gotta have those moments. Cause that, that's when you're, that's when you learn the most. Yeah. And then, you know, putting, um, what's it called? Open WRT, the firmware for routers, putting that on the family router, just because we could like, yeah, we got a router from the ISP, but wouldn't it be cool if you put Linux on it? And then realizing, oh, internet is down for the whole family and then panicking and calling the ISP and trying to get to a support person. We're like, what is the actual account number that I need to put in to dial in via PPOE? And they're like, oh, have you tried? And we're like, believe us, like we know what we're doing. It doesn't sound like it. <laughs> But we actually know what we're doing. Please, please tell us what the actual, you know, what the format of this uh, login string is. So that was a panicky moment. Yeah. Now it sounded like, other than working with the computers, you were also playing sports. What else were you doing? You know, when you were in the high school there. So actually, when I was in high school, living in really, really small town Germany, I. Say from 12 to 16, 17, I didn't do much besides computers. Um, I didn't do a lot of sports. So I was a lot on my computer, a lot on the internet, a lot in, you know, chats, ICQ, IRC, whatnot, which is, you know, coming from small town Germany, it was the world to me. You know, all, all my musical taste, and later we get to this, even the, the current job, my career in programming depends or came from a person I met online while I was active on an online forum in 2004. So uh, internet was the world to me. And then with 17, I realized, man, maybe I should, maybe I should get out of my room more. And, you know, I was really, really into music, classic rock, blues rock, uh, Led Zeppelin, all of that. And I, I started to play guitar and I started to play in the band and I, I stopped with programming kind of telling myself you know oh, you're just sitting in front of the computer you're wasting your time because back then the the maybe even now the common opinion in germany was you need to be really good at math like you need to re 
really good at math and study computer science with good grades in math for you to become a software engineer. And I wasn't good at math and I also didn't enjoy school that much. So in my mind, I basically checked this off. This is not a viable career option for me. So I wanted to become a writer. I wanted to become a journalist at that point in time and also a musician. And then I started doing more outside or without computers for a few years, actually. It sounds like you learned to play the guitar pretty well, fairly quickly. If you just decide in that one year, I'm going to play guitar and now you're playing in a band. Like, that's interesting to me, how quickly you picked that up. It's also, um, well, you know, I taught myself with the internet, you know, now there's even more options, but back then, there were some tabs online. There were some guitar lesson videos online. There was not the YouTube as it is today, but I taught myself and I think I was pretty good at some things, but I wasn't, um, you know, uh, classically trained. I couldn't read sheet music, but you know, I guess depending on how the rest of the conversation goes, but looking back, this is a common thread toward through my life where self-taught outside of the established say uh system which maybe sounds too bureaucratic but the same with programming right like self-taught program self-taught musician writing i didn't you know just started writing more uh started playing guitar and so look so you're gonna graduate high school and you've got to make some choices now right you, you go to university you go to a trade school you've got to make some choices here so what are you thinking as you're now finishing up high school in, uh, what did we say, 2007? Seven, you're 18, yeah. it's 2007. What is Thorsten thinking about doing next? So I'm 18. My girlfriend just went to Australia to spend a year in Australia. I have to do... Did she, she, she had to get away from you so that she went all the way to Australia? So. Well, I guess, you know, looking back, I guess she ran away or wanted to get away from something. Oh, yeah. So so in Germany, back then, you also had the, um, uh, what's the word here? You, you had to join either the military or do one year of social service. Um, so, you know, you go to the military or you say... You write them a letter uh, saying, you know, you don't want to do this because you can't handle authority, blah, 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 which is kind of what I did because I'm, I'm a pretty uh, pacifistic person um, and I didn't want to join the military. So I did one year of, you know, driving kids to school with a friend of mine. So we had like a, a little bus and we drove people to a kids to special needs school in the morning and in the afternoon. And uh, that was a pretty great time, like uh, driving kids to school in the morning, then getting back home for four hours, play guitar, practice guitar, listen to music in the afternoon, pick them up again, drive them around. And you got you... paid for that. Well, yeah, not a lot, but we got paid. And, you know, mo the other one in the car with me was one of my best school friends. You know, that was a pretty good time. And you didn't have to work in between like that was your job for a year. Just yeah, I was still living kids. at my parents. Yeah. And then we drove those kids and, it, you know, sometimes you also had to drove to hospitals and drive patients from here to there or something if they had an appointment and help out with some other stuff. But yeah, I, I think we worked like 
I don't know, let's say six, six hours every day or something like that. Sometimes more, but usually six hours. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm thinking like you work for two hours a day, but yeah, I guess you have to get the bus, get it there, drop yeah, them so off. This is, yeah. Back. This is driving through the woods here where, you know, the, the one route takes you three hours, pick up all the kids one and a half hours, then drive back home. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, you know, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. So you enjoyed that year because you kind of, you had a job, so nobody could really like bust your chops in a sense, but it was like easy and you had free time. Yeah, exactly. And then, then after that, uh, my girlfriend was still in Australia and you know, I didn't, I didn't graduate with fantastic rates. Um, so computer science, I guess, was out of the question, you know, studying that. Um, and it was also, you know, in your head, it was in your head, it was out of the question. Yeah, I didn't apply in, in my head. Yeah, I didn't apply. Um, so but I also wanted to become a musician. And I had this whole, you know, you have to take a shot. Like, if you don't try it now, you never will. So me and my friend who was the bass player in our band, we who was one year below me in school, we, we said like, look, I'm going to Australia for a year, but when I come back, we're going to move to Berlin and we try, you know, to, to start a band and, and play music. And he was like, all right, let's do it. And my parents actually didn't say anything. They were like, if you can finance yourself because you won't get anything from us, that's fine with us. So yeah, I went to Australia uh for like three quarters of a year i guess what did you do in australia did you get a job did you just lounge around so this i still i still use these experiences like i still think of this often because what i did in australia was i arrived in darwin and then i was laying carpets for a while like this was an you know like looking at the blackboard in a in a hostel where it's like hey we're looking for somebody for two weeks to help us out blah 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 these are the kind of jobs I did or helping out in a field, picking melons. But um, for like, I think four months, I worked in a shipyard. We were sanding down boats for a long time. So this was all pretty, you know, blue collar work, uh, you know, manual labor work. And I'm, I'm really, really happy that I did it. I'm really happy because it's easy to complain about sitting in, in a comfortable chair all day and getting fed up <laughs> and stuff like this. But then you think, oh yeah, at one point, you know, I sat in a shipyard for eight hours every day and this is a much better deal. That was Australia. And then I went back and we moved to Berlin and we started playing music. Um, now you must have been playing music in Australia a little bit. You couldn't have just like yeah, not picked guitar. up guitar. All right, so you were practicing. You must have been in communication with your bass player that way. Now, I, I, what I don't understand is why lose the year in Australia? Were you trying to make it work with your girlfriend there? Because why yeah, not yeah, just go exactly. to Berlin? Yeah, exactly. Girlfriend. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. So obviously it doesn't work out. So you leave Australia three quarters of the year in. And now the, and you're like, I don't care. I'm going to be in a band. I'm going to have all these girls. Anyway, so let's move on, <laughs> right? 
spoiler that will, that didn't happen. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got a guy's got a drink. All right, so you 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 come back to Germany. You go to Berlin with your buddy, and and what happens in Berlin? How long do you try to stick out the band thing? So we both because. You know, we wanted to have a backup plan. We both applied to college there in Berlin, which is pretty tough to get into because there's so many people doing the same thing, like moving to Berlin and then figuring out what to do in Berlin. So they, they go to Berlin and they basically sign up for everything at college. So all even the most ridiculous courses are full, right? You need a good grades to get in. So I ended up... Um, not getting into anything in my first year. And I started doing working night shift for UPS, um, unloading trucks just to, to you know, finance myself, which actually was pretty good money. Um, but also backbreaking work in the most literal sense. So my friend and I, we were both working night shift at UPS and he was studying linguistics, which he likes or liked, I guess. And I was not studying anything for the first year, just trying to play guitar same time we're both trying to get a band together we're both living in the same flat going getting to work every night at 11 p.m working until four or five in the morning which is i would never ever do again working the night shift i'm a, as it later turns out when i switch to morning shift i'm a morning shift person um but yeah that was that was also that was brutal like this technically you were working in the morning you know <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, that was the first year. That was hard. Um, you know what's really hard is, you know, what's really hard is if you get a gig, your gigs are going to be at night. They're not going to be during the day. So your schedule is almost not even conducive. But by now you should have realized there wasn't a lot of forethought in all of this, you know, <laughs> like this is all <laughs> short-term decision-making, I guess. Um or trying to make something work. But yeah, like this was, Berlin is huge. It's huge. And there's, even if you find somebody who's willing to play in your blues rock band, which is not a, say, common thing in Berlin, where there's more electronic music or let's say more <laughs> modern types of music are popular there. Even if you find somebody, it's completely possible that they live in another part of Berlin and have to, you know, go to band rehearsal, but it's going to take them an hour or something to get there. So it wasn't as easy as we thought it would be. And we took us a long time to find a really good singer. And then we had one and then he moved away to go to Hamburg. And, you know, uh, it wasn't, wasn't coming together. It really wasn't. And then in... A year later, I applied again. Then I applied for for philosophy. It was called actually the the, the overarching thing was called uh, culture and technology, which is still playing its echoes through me, I guess. So, culture and technology, and the main focus was philosophy. And I've you know I've read a lot as a teenager and even later. And I started also reading some philosophy texts, you know, literature texts. So I was interested in this and I really think it is interesting. So I started studying this and then in one year, I think it was my second year, um, things came together where I was in a, I was in a seminar that was about 
computer science and technology and culture and how you know us working with computers every day has a feedback loop on what culture is and how we think about ourselves and the world you know shaped by the spreadsheets that we use every day on our computer and that really you know coming you know with my background coming from the linux world the open source world you know programming scripts and modifying websites that really lit the fire it resonated it resonated yeah, it really with rated. you yeah exactly it was really I don't know, inspiring. And then at the same time, I got a call from a stepdad who still lived here in small town Germany because as a teenager, I was in a, I guess the translation is a shooting club, which is, it's not, it, it, the images you have in your brain of like shooting clubs or something in the US, that's completely the opposite. It's It's air rifle shooting. It's a traditional thing in, Bavaria, you know, like 50 old guys and teenagers where it's equal amounts about having a beer on a Friday evening versus actually going to, to matches. So, but, but I was in a club and they called me up and it's like, Hey, can you, can you do our new website? I did the old one you know, five years before. So now I'm like, yeah, you know, okay. Yeah, I guess I'll do it. And I used that opportunity to kind of see what I've been missing the, the, the previous five years and, turns out you know this is now 2011 10 11 something like that 11 and i was suddenly surprised oh there's something called jquery now okay there's something called ruby on rails now okay and i sat down and tried to build a website with the new thing called html5 and javascript and dynamic you know like a collapse sidebar and stuff like this and i got hooked like i got hooked again where i sat down in front of the computer and suddenly it's five hours later and you're like the time flew by it wasn't it wasn't it didn't feel like work it didn't feel like uh, something strenuous or something that exhausts you and in my mind, I compared this to practicing guitar where, oh boy, like I have to practice, like actual practice, practice, where you don't play a song to yourself, but actually practice. Like an hour of actual practice really did feel like an hour to me. It really did. And then I was glad it was over. But sitting down in front of a computer and trying to debug why your collapsible sidebar doesn't work because your jQuery selector is off or something like that, I could do this all day, you know, it, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't get on my nerves. I can do this all day. So then in my mind, I was thinking, maybe, maybe, maybe this is the more lucrative option than trying to make it as a musician and also finishing my philosophy degree. So I reached out to a friend who was also living in Berlin and which I knew from 2000 three, four, when I was working online in, in like uh, learning forums for learning programming, stuff like this, he was also hanging out on that forum. And I still have kept in touch with him and I reached out to him and I said, hey man, wrote him like a super long email. Like, hey man, like this is what I've been thinking about, blah, blah, blah. Do you think like, mm, you know, if I could make it, if I, you know, try to be a program without having a degree, and he replied with a single word, yes. That was it. And I was like, I was immediately following up, like, what, 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 how, why, you know, stuff like that. And he 
still works. This is Robin Mayner we're talking about. Like he's still he's still working as a consultant. And he was working as a consultant freelancer for a bunch of big companies. And he was like, we met for coffee. And he said, look, um, from what he's seen and the companies he worked with, most people do not care about the degree. As long as you can show that you are able to program, as long as you could give him, give them some, the impression either by, you know, proof of work or something else you can show them if that you can program because a lot of people apparently say they can program and they study computer science but in fact they cannot he told me i didn't believe this for eight years maybe but he said if you can program you can do this and that lit a fire where i was like whew that there's no there's no secret there's no magic thing you know it's the same as back with the websites like the Big companies also use the same tools like, oh, there's no hidden barrier. There's no uh, intangible talent required or some degree. You just need to be able to do the work. Yep. But you also need a resume. So <laughs> that's so, true. That's true. So, t that's so talk to me now because you want to get into this industry. You don't have a resume. So what's your next step? My next step is I double down on this like i buy books on ruby ruby and rails and i gonna teach myself ruby and rails so i did this in my spare time every evening weekend whatsoever building website you're still working at ups still working at ups uh morning shift still in college so ups college then doing this in my spare time and staying in touch with my friend and then he was like okay i can offer you an internship after i showed him what i've been building you know, like I've been building, rebuild the website for my band where we could upload our rehearsal recordings and stuff like this and, you know, organize them and tag them. And I was adding all of these features that everybody adds once they build their first crowd app. Um, so I showed him this and he was like, yeah, okay, you can do an internship. And I did an internship with him. And was that free or he paid you a little bit? That He paid you a little bit. He paid me a little bit. Yeah. He paid me and um so when were you fitting in your internship between ups school or school and did you sleep so the internship i did when there was the break at college um like from you know you get like a two oh or the break months. the break in between semesters yeah exactly yeah so okay I did okay that's three fair. months uh, three months internship so what i did was I worked at UPS from six to nine, and then I did the internship from like 10 to six or something. So the, the morning shift is like three hours. So I would get up at five, blah, 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 go to work, do UPS, load up on caffeine, then go to the internship and then do this. And then the evening, you know, try to spend some more time on, on reading about uh, rails and stuff like that. And I did this for three months and he was apparently happy with how I was progressing where, you know, learned Ruby on rails, learned how to do test driven development. And I was again, like it didn't feel like work to me. It was, Oh, I just need to learn stuff. I need to read books, which I enjoy. And then I can, you know, progress and I can also use that immediately in my work. There's no, you know, you go to a 
I don't know, something, you get a certificate, but you might not be able to use it in my, in the work. Here was, I learned about test driven development. I get better at writing tests. I can use this the next day. You know, that was a great feedback loop. Um, and then he took me to clients, you know, we went to Audi and I was scared. I was like, oh boy, oh, you know, <laughs> they will find out, they will find out that, you know, I'm a, I'm a dropout and I'd actually, it didn't study this. And then when I came, when we arrived there and I looked at the code, I realized, oh boy, like, uh, okay, I can, I can work with this. Like they, there's, we need to fix the test suite first. We need to do this. We need to do that. And I was surprised, you know, how far I was, or maybe how not far they were, where global state in tests, flaky tests, uh, non-deterministic tests and stuff like this. And, you know, front end stuff and multiple people working on the code base and leaving the code in a mess. So that was, that was a confidence booster. Yeah, it gave you exactly. confidence. Yeah, so exactly. let me guess, you don't go back to school and you, the guy hires you full time to start working on this stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So I got hooked again. I was like, I need to do this. And there were lots of startups in Berlin. And I thought, I, I said to him, man, I, I'm not going back to school. I, and he's like, what's your plan? And I was like, I need to do this full time. I guess I'm going to apply to you know, all of the companies that I saw at all the meetups we went to, like the JavaScript meetup or Ruby meetup, you know, oh, which companies do they work at? All right, let's find out what these companies do. Are they looking for people? Ah, do they say something specific about degrees? If not, I can apply, you know, or maybe talk to the person at the meetup. So I, I told him, you know, Robin, these are all my plans. And then I think a week later or something, he was like, all right, um, here's an offer. You know, I'll, I can take you on full time. And, you know, for such a salary and you can work full time. It's like, thank you. I was so grateful. And if, if, you know, if I told this to anybody, uh, like, they were asking me back home here. They were asking, like, so who do you, what's the company? You know, in Germany, it's big companies, traditional companies. That's uh, this prestigious thing. But I was, eh, it's just the two of us <laughs> working, from his, <laughs> working from his living room. And yeah, we go to clients, but they had no clue, you know, how much money there is in software consulting and that he could pay me a salary and stuff like that. And I was just happy to get the mentorship I did from him because we did a lot of pair programming and he was really, really strict and tough on me too, where, you know, PR reviews didn't pull any punches, you know, like you need to care about this. You need to care about that. I want you to not make these mistakes and handing the keyboard, you know, from one to the other one writes the test. The other one fixes the test. The other one writes the next test, stuff like this. So if you do this, for three, four months every day, you get better really quickly, especially if you have customers and you need to ship and you actually need to make money and you're not you know, somewhere in a research place. All right, but I, I, I'm interested in a couple of things. One, do you remember the very last box you lifted at UPS? <laughs> That's <laughs> question number one. Yeah. Like eventually you got to go in there and say, like, I'm done, right? I'm sure you had to work a couple more shifts. You must have been thinking, oh, these are my last boxes, man. My last boxes. 
there was uh, I do remember this. I will never forget this job. Never. Um, the, um, there was one container that came in every day, every day, and that was loaded full with flyers, like posters and flyers and whatnot. And they are really, really heavy because yeah, there's paper. no space. There's no there's air. No space. They're just really <laughs> heavy. So somebody every day had to go in and unload this thing. And UPS is or was pretty strict. You know, you had there were there were these bands where you put the uh, the packages on and and put them out of the truck, and you had to unload a thousand per hour. And that was the rate. So this gives you an impression of how many per minute, per second. So you really had to go in there and power through this whole thing. You you weren't allowed to sneeze during that time. Basically, you sneeze. No. Like sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you had a container with like big packages in there, and you're like, oh, thank you know, big light packages, and they make a lot of room. But the flyer one wasn't that. And yes, sometime, you know, uh, last day, everybody. There were people that worked in there for 30 years or 20 years or something. And, you know, to be honest, like UPS was a great employer. Like they, they paid very well. Um, it was nice working there. But they were all like, oh, you made it, man. You made it. Yeah. You know, even, even <laughs> when you had out. the internship, it was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even with the internship, um, it was, oh, you get paid for the internship. That's nuts, man. And, you know, you, you felt... Oh yeah, you know. <laughs> now here's my next question. You're now going to tell your roommate that he's going to UPS alone, and what's going on with the band? That's a, okay. You're going deep. All right. So <laughs> I think it it at that point the realization that the band is probably not going to make it has you know grown roots in our like we both realized this and he i in berlin met my now current wife um so we were together and i was spending more time with her than in our flat and he had a girlfriend in munich so he was traveling to munich so we were seeing each other less and then i was really dreading that conversation where i was like hey you know I'm trying to work here and blah, blah, blah. But he was like, yeah, you know, that's fine. I'm also going to stop working here because I want to, he basically wanted to pick up a real college course and not just study linguistics or something like an MBA, I guess it would be the equivalent. I'll do this and I'm also going to be in Munich. So it wasn't a hard. Actually, that's brilliant. You were both kind of already moving on at that point. And so if anything, this was, a relief for both of you because it allowed it made it easier for you to kind of go your separate ways exactly yeah yeah and it was there was uh yeah we were both on the same page i guess and we still played together and like practice but it wasn't the same pressure anymore oh you know we're going we have to make it it was you know i'll try this it sounds more lucrative so how much longer did you live with him in that flat from the time that you now start this job. Are you still like another year together? Yeah, like basically until I moved away from Berlin, which would be one and a half, two years later. So you're with this consultancy, you're with this person for like two years that you do this for two years. Right, so I mean, that brings you to like about 2014 maybe? 
13, end of 13. 13, without... end of 13, 14. And you decide what? Like, okay, I've done everything I'm going to do here. My now wife, I met in Australia, actually. So I met her whoa, whoa, by whoa, accident. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, so whoa, this whoa, was whoa. like a, a funny <laughs> accident. I met her in Australia as one night in a, in a hostel. And I actually talked to a friend and she was asking me in German, like, can you open this bottle for me or something like that? And I recognized the accent. And I was like, where are you from? And she said, blah, 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 which is a town right around where I grew up. And I was like, no way. And she's like, where are you from? I said, well, right this town here. And she says, no way. I'm going to get my friend. And her friend, that's my now wife, and I, we got talking. We realized we come from basically the same place, like a 20-minute drive from each other here in Germany, and we both met by accident in Australia. And then she said, what are you going to do after Australia? And I said, I'm going to Berlin. And she said, I'm also going to Berlin. So then we both were in Berlin, and this was 2000, yeah, 2009, 10 when we were in Berlin and we connected on Facebook and like, oh, you're also back in Berlin. Oh yeah, let's meet up, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, became a couple. You know, things happen for a reason, man. I, I say this all the time. I thought you were insane going to Australia. I really did. In the back of my head, I'm like, oh, man, I get it. But I mean, you wouldn't have met your wife if you hadn't gone to Australia to go hang out with the other girl. Think about the uh, irony and all that. <laughs> And I really, look, like, it sounds ridiculous to do this, go to Australia for a year and not do something that would advance one's career. But I still think I'm so happy about these memories and, like, having done these experiences and having lived in a tent, you know, for three months, you know. I, I now know that I can live a pretty happy life without anything, basically, you know. Um, and I still carry that with me. And yeah, so, okay. So 2013, I'm working for Robin and my wife, now wife and I, in Berlin. And we both know deep down Berlin is not it for us. Like at some point, we want to move back home. It doesn't feel like home. It just, we want it to be, we think it's cool, it's fun, but there's some longing. We're like, ah, someday we're going to move back. All right, let me ask you a question, though, with that longing. At that point, are you talking about marriage and kids and these types of things? No, and it's no, like, no, 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 no. We don't, no so it's no. not like we don't want to raise a family here. It's just you're longing for the life in the, in the smaller town. Okay, that's fair. But I thought, you know, I can never move back because... There are no good tech jobs there because at that point I also had this high bar where I wanted to work on fantastic software teams, you know, startups that, you know, not all of the cliches I heard about, you know, the tie wearing Java developer in big corporation in a cubicle somewhere. I wanted to do what the people at GitHub did, you know, where I read all of these stories. Oh, GitHub, they work all remote. And in my head, that was the ultimate thing to achieve, where it's like, th there's people here in Berlin that were for GitHub, one of the coolest companies I've ever heard about in San Francisco. That's crazy. So, but I realized, uh, you know, when I moved back home, I wouldn't have access to any of those jobs. Most of them are in Berlin. You know, there's no startups around here. So, but then um, this is April, 2013. Uh, Robin and I, we get a new client. 
and it's a it's a startup working with Ruby on Rails, and that startup, as it turns out, is being run from right around here, where I grew up in a really really small town, founded by college students. So we start working from them, and I guess they were, you know, no, let's not put words in their mouth, but I think I did well in like working for them as a consultant. And in my head, you know, started this idea, if we move back, maybe I could work for them, um, you know, then. You would need Robin's permission because he's a, they're a client, but. Exactly. Okay. You're going there. Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, he, he's like, but then I had, I think one of the most difficult conversations in my life where I, you know, because Robin did everything for me. He gave me this job and this opportunity. But I wanted to tell him, look, I really want to move back home. C could I work for them? I really also wanted to work in a bigger team in an office and see what that's like. Because the consultant role, it has its own things, but... It's lonely. I mean... Yeah, it's lonely. And, and when you're in a team, you have skin in the game where you're like, this is our baby. If this goes down, we go down in a, in a way, right? So... And ownership, you have some feeling exactly. of ownership yeah. uh, where you're so, not allowed to have that ownership feeling when you're a consultant. In fact, it's, if you do, it's a problem. You, you, you're trained not to feel ownership. Ownership is big for me, like to the extreme. Um, I really, you know, we can go into this, but it's important to me and I've kind of, I think I started to realize this and I wanted this. So I had this really, really difficult conversation with Robin. Um, and I said, like, man, you know, blah, 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 we really want to move there. And he understood. He was really calm about this. Um, and he said, if you, if you want to do this, let's talk to Michael, the CEO of the startup. And he was helping me get that job, basically. Like, he was pitching, not pitching, but, like, saying, hey, Michael, would you take him on? He was champion. Yeah, it was a we do this at Arden all the time. Like, like, we'll champion you if this is really what you want. The world's too small. It's not... It's not worth getting into those sort of problems. Yeah, that's, that's, so that's yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, and he did, and Michael was like, absolutely. You know, he's basically seen my work for half a year, like my commits, he knew what I could do. And he was also on the other end, like, hey, it's really hard to hire Ruby on Rails developers here in nowhere, you know? So yes, sure, if you want to come from Berlin. So, so I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious, I'm curious. Did you know the rates that he was billing you out at prior um, to this? Yes. Because now you got to get a salary, right? So are you're going to either come in cheaper or you're going to come in the same. So that's why I'm asking, did you know the rate? Did you know the margin that he was making? I guess, yeah. To, I, can, I cannot recount it now, but I... I don't need to know what the number is, but you, you kind of knew what the margin was. Yeah, but the, the 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 funny thing is I didn't use that to my advantage. <laughs> the because in the in that first in that first negotiation call about the salary, he came he, he gave me an offer and I immediately said yes because it was more than I was earning. And later on I realized I could have gone like twenty percent more, thirty percent more. And I was like they were already paying that money for you. It wasn't like they had to reallocate a budget or something. You were, but that's why I asked. Yeah, that's why I asked. And 
I'm surprised Robin didn't help you a little bit with the salary because we'll do that. We we kind of know to make sure that person gets a raise and it's reasonable um, too. So I think no, no, nothing know, on Robin. I'm just saying I, I find it interesting that he didn't kind of help. I think he did. I think he did. Like Robin is in the raise your rates camp, you know, like he understands this. I think he did, but I also think at that moment I was so scared of that thing being snatched from me. The you know, in the last minute, yeah, if yeah, I yeah. You wanted it so number, bad, yeah, exactly. You, so if I say it. number too high, will he hang up and say nope? Of course, like now I know that's that's probably not going to happen. Like it's a negotiation. Say, yeah, exactly. You're nuts, but let's meet at this number here, but we will not rescind our offer because you said the number that's too high. But back then I didn't knew better. And I was basically the first number he said, I was like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And you had a number in your head, probably like if they give me this, then I'm fine. And they yeah. gave you that a was, number. And, yeah, exactly. And that's fair. I mean, it's fair, but it's an interesting thing to kind of look back on now, right? To, to understand that you were probably, I mean, for him to be in business, right? He's, he's, you understand the margin had to be there. So it was kind of available. I was in the best possible position because they off, they, there's no, there's no doubt in their mind. They've seen me do the work. I worked for them already. Now it was just about finding, it was not yes or no. It was just about finding that number. So I could have gone really high and still would have gotten the job, but. But lessons learned and, and it, you know, that's kind of cool. So, you now are in a position to be able to move. What is your your girlfriend at the time, now wife? Uh, we'll just say your wife. So what was your wife doing in Berlin? What kind of work was she doing? Was it easy for her to move? Yeah, so she was a project manager working at MTV in, and then a marketing uh, agency. So yes, tech-related projects, project management. And there, you know, we're living near Frankfurt. There's a lot of agencies around or in the, in the area, I guess. So she didn't have a job lined up, but she was like, yep, yeah, let's move. I'll find something. So now, but you're not near your, neither of you are that close to your parents or oh, I have like a 20, yeah. 20 yeah, minutes or even closer. Yeah. 20 minutes. 20, 20 yeah. minutes is yeah. good. I always say like, you want to be... Not, no not closer than 20 minutes. Yeah, not in the same house. No closer than 20 minutes because 20 minutes you can go over there. It's not an inconvenience, but somebody can't just pop pop in your door at any like that's always kind of good. So you're like 20 minutes away. You find so do you at this point you're making a decent salary. She's going to find a job. So you just rent a, a flat again and yeah, we're living in a small small city here. I commute to work with the train. Um, so you're commuting into Frankfurt. What is that like an hour? Ch uh, well, no, smaller. Yeah, smaller, smaller city closer to, to Darmstadt. It's, you know, Dieburg it was called, but yeah, smaller city. What is that commute for you? Like a half an hour? No, that was pretty long. Like it was, uh, I think, 45 minutes. And then like there's, you know, 15 minutes walking on each end of that. Like that's one way. Why not move closer to the job? You really just, you really wanted to be in that town. You didn't mind. I really want, yeah, I really wanted to be in this area here. Yeah. 
I can't rationally explain this. It sounds ridiculous, but something the city we were living in, I I really liked. Like we were happy there. Yeah. Yeah, but you lost. One of the reasons I left New York and moved to Miami is because I didn't want to lose two hours, two and a half hours of my life on a train. And at the time, there was no internet. At the time, you couldn't work on the train when I was doing it in the early nineties. So I was I was reading a lot. Like I was. All of my technical reading, um, like reading, I don't know, Martin Fowler, you know, stuff like this, like test-driven development, refactoring, whatnot, like all of these books I read on the train every day because that I was alert, right? It wasn't in bed where you fall asleep if you read a technical text, but I read this on the way to work and on the way back from work. Um, so I actually cherished that, you know, you had to fix schedule every day where you sat down and pulled out your book. So how long were you with this company? Three years. Wait a second. No, no, no. Wait a second. Uh, well, 2013. Yeah. Three years. All right. So 2016, what happens? Like it, it's surprising to me that it's only been three years because this was, was it everything? It was everything you wanted it to be. Yeah, yeah, except for the big success, but it was. You know, Wait a second, you were already consulting on these teams. So did your dynamic change when you became a full-time so. employee? Yeah, it was. You, and it was and then, you were there in the office. I was in the office with the other three guys, a small engineering team. Every day I learned something new. When you're in there, and you are now on the team and you and you work on a product and you for yourself have to think what is the next best thing to do and not being handed something which is often you know hey we let the consultants work on this predefined thing while we finish this other thing but now suddenly i was part of this team i was going to sprint plannings i was going to you know workshops i was in retrospectives i was encouraged to share my opinion on the product and the tech and whatnot. And I, I loved it. And everybody else was really, really good on that team. Like they were really good. One of them is now a CTO in the company that we later worked at. The other one is the backend lead manager for that company. The other one is a staff engineer at Shopify. Like this was us in small town Germany on a single team and you know, we did everything like in those three years, like ups and downs of like having to scale up, doing, realizing our whole architecture doesn't scale, having to rewrite it, having to do database migrations, like, you know, like a full night database migration. Yeah, it's, it's magical when you get on one of these, it happens maybe, if you're lucky, it happens once. If you're super lucky, it happens twice, but it's rare. It's rare. But what happens three years later? Like, so the company is not. Uh, this was a ride-sharing company built on the uh, the idea of the goodwill of the people that people will offer their ride. Like they're commuting to work and you use the app, like we had Android and iOS apps, to share your ride and you say, I'm going from A to B. And then our system would route you along you know, your ride and then say, hey, there's somebody waiting along that route. You can pick them up. And even with detours, like, hey, it's just a two-minute detour for you, blah, blah, blah. Turns out, in that market, you do not win by technology alone. Like you need a huge marketing budget and you need a lot of people being willing to sh 
go out of their way in the most literal sense to help somebody else. You know, it wasn't about money because in Germany, regulations would forbid you to have something like Uber or Lyft where you actually make a profit. So this was all cost covering, right? Um, in hindsight, I'm looking at this and going, maybe I'm too cynical now, but I'm thinking, man, <laughs> you know, no wonder this doesn't work. But but they had funding. Then they must have had yeah, yeah, VC yeah. funding. Yeah. We, well, what so, was the revenue know. model then? What? What? I, I just have to ask, you know what the revenue model was if... Yeah, basically, this was, you know, like, you know, this was 10 years ago where the idea was get big and then figure out how to make money, right? And yeah, so it was, well, we can always do ads. Well, ads, no, everybody said ads probably won't work, but maybe uh, we can then offer some paid stuff, blah, 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 get some share of this money. And yeah. I get it, I get it. All right, so they're running out of money. But this, this is now ending. You uh, still want to live in your little small town. So you now have to find another job. Writing's on the wall. Yeah. So actually, so the company was running out of money multiple times in those three years. So I've seen some stuff. But then one time I was running out and the big German railway company, Deutsche Bahn, I'm sure you've met them or seen some of their stuff when you were in Berlin. They were interested in our company to acquire it, basically to acquire the tech. But then last minute, they were like, nah, we're not going to acquire you. Like really last minute. But we're offering to take some of you on, not in an acquire thing where you get a bonus, but more like we will, you know, employ you with a small bonus and then you will build something for us. We're going to fund a startup inside Deutsche Bahn. And to me you know, coming from this startup world, the cool companies, this was, you know, the devil, basically, the big company. Like, oh, if we go there, they're going to make us have, you know, think pads with windows on it, and I need to get fill out a form to get them installed on my computer. I don't want this. So I actually, in my first conversation with my new boss, when talking, same conversation that we talked about salary, and now I knew my numbers better, same conversation we talked about salary, I was like, you're not, I want a MacBook and I want to be able to install any software I want. And he's like, all right, done. You know, so then we funded this new startup inside this big corporation. And then we, this was the world's colliding where they were like, all right, how long do you think it takes to have something up and running? And this was like our first week. And we're like, done. Like there's something running on Heroku right now. We just pushed it, you know, they were not used to a small team working really, really fast. And, you know, then we build up this company and over the next, what is it like two years? Yeah. 2017, 2018, I was involved in everything there. I, I have to admit, I got kind of bored with the whole domain because it was again, mobility was again, locations, latitude, longitude, that's your whole thing. You know, you have a vehicle location in your system. And I kind of got bored with this and also with Rails and Ruby. And I, you know, on the side, this is 2017, I had written the first book about interpreters. Um, so I was interested in also, you know, how a company organizes itself. What organizational structures do we have? What is the culture of this? Because I really was anxious about the culture being big corporate was a startup. So I tried to really get in there and help define like some culture that is more startup than big corporation. Um, so yeah, you know, that was two years and 
then after two years, I realized I don't enjoy this anymore. I, I need I need something that excites me from a technical perspective. So then, you know, I found Sourcegraph by accident via Hacker News, and they were working on, you know, code intelligence, language servers, code search. Like, this was a developer product for other developers. And I, having, you know, built interpreter compilers, like, I want to get closer to this. I want to use Go, right? Because I've been doing Go. I want to use Go as my main tool for the job. And the other company in running um, at the time for me was Mesosphere. So I applied to both because the manager from Mesosphere reached out and asked me and applied to both. I got an offer from both. And I would work remotely from my small town for both of them, one in San Francisco, the other one in Hamburg in San Francisco. So I basically flipped the coin because I couldn't really decide. I flipped the coin. Well, I went, but both offers were good. Both offers were good. Like the pros and cons list was good on both sides. But what Mesosphere had was they had an office in Germany that I could visit on, on a regular basis. And I've never done full remote before. And everybody says, oh, are you sure? Are you sure you're going to be fine working only from home and never, ever seeing anybody? And I wasn't sure. So I went with the option where I could at least see some colleagues every eight weeks or six weeks or something. So I went with Mesosphere. And um, turns out it was, yeah. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Before you finish this this part of the story, okay? So because you, you had these two great choices. You, you went with the one that was in-country, local, even though it was remote. No more train. Like, I get that. But I, I just, I want to get back to this. But I, I want to step back a little bit. Because you just glance over this idea that you wrote a book about compilers in Go. And we're not talking like, where does this... You, you need to tell me, before we finish that story, how Go ends up on your radar screen and are you able to use it at all at work and and why are you spending so much time with the language? While working at that first startup, right, the, the magical time, um, there were two two PhDs in that room with me. And what kept me really motivated since day one was like figuring out how stuff works. I'm a college dropout. I don't know how computers work. So for me, it was like, what are threads? What is a garbage collector? How does concurrency work? So I asked them questions and they nerd sniped me into more stuff, you know, where they were like, have you looked at this at all? Do you know what this is? You should look at this. And so I got really, now I had a job doing Ruby on Rails in a startup. Nice. But I still wanted more. So I started learning C on the side because I, you know, I need to know C because that's the hardcore stuff. Memory management, blah, 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 blah. So I learned C. Then I got into operating systems. Like how does an operating system work? And I've read you know, the Unix books, Unix network programming, advanced programming, the Unix environment, stuff like that. Even gave, you know, talks at Ruby conferences about how the, um, Unicorn web server uses Unix and to have its performance, you know, it was all magical stuff and fascinating stuff to me. And then from C, um, I went to go because a friend of mine who I knew from Berlin, Felix Geisendorf, I'm sure you also know him. He, he was starting to use go in 2012 and I also started looking into go, but I realized, I don't know, I don't know what pointers are and I feel like I'm missing some bits. So I went back to C first learned C, then went back to Go. And then I asked our team lead a lot of times, many times, I was like, 
because we migrated away from Heroku to our own own machines, I was like, let me let me write a deployment tool. You know, this is so nice in Go because you can have channels and concurrency, and I can run these commands on all of these machines and stream them via WebSockets to the client, and we can see all of this output. And he's like, all right, like I, I want you to write me some architectural documents so you don't spin your wheels for eight weeks with nothing to show for it. If you can show me, you can pull this off. I'll let you do it. So I, I wrote a deployment tool. This was at that startup. So this, I was already dipping my toes into Go. So then I got really interested in interpreters and languages. I started looking into Lisp and what is Lisp. I started reading uh, uh, a structured interpretation of computer programs. And then I got hooked on interpreters. And I tried to find out how they work. And I realized it's either uh, you know, five-page tutorials and blogs, or it's 600-page textbooks. But I needed something in between. So then over a year, um, I remember having a conversation with my teammate outside while I was still smoking, but having a cigarette. I told him, you know, looking in the distance, I said, I'm going to write a book about this. And he's like, go ahead, man, do it. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. And then I never mentioned it again. So then for a year, on the train to work, I've tried to figure out how interpreters work. And then my goal was write all of this down, not skipping any details, go from zero line to all the lines it takes to have a up and running interpreter for a small language that is not a, not a super toy. It has curly braces and all of that. Write all of this down and then self-publish it. Um, and I did. I did this over, well, in the course of 2016, I guess spent my spare time in the morning before going to the train. Like I like getting, I said as a morning shift person, I like getting up at 6 a.m., did some programming and writing here, went to the train, did some programming writing on the train, worked on the train back, program writing the book. Um, and then I self-published where suddenly all of my, you know, web design skills or web, <laughs> web development skills came into play and I made the website and some marketing and wrote blog posts. Um, and yeah, that was 2018, uh, sorry, 16. So, okay. Okay. So you, you got introduced to go as a, as a way of learning the lower level computing and you got hooked and you started using it. You were able to do a deployment tool. You started le learning how to write compile. Okay. Very, very cool. So it's not part of your day job, right? But everything you're kind of doing on the side is go. So. You're spending an equal amount of hours um, learning the language and you're publishing stuff, which is awesome. But now you need this new job. So you choose to stay basically with a company in Germany. Um, so how long are you with them? Not long. I realized after a month that this wasn't for me. I, I didn't enjoy it. I don't think the team that I joined should have existed it felt more like oh somebody wanted more headcount so they added one more person to the team right before i joined the staff engineer had just left went to another company the manager had just left it all felt a bit chaotic and i have this thing where i walk into a room and if somebody when i when i don't feel like somebody's doing the job i feel like ah, damn it then i have to do it i can't can help myself. I'm not happy doing it, but then I started organizing, you know, the team meetings and the sprint plannings and the retrospectives and all of this. But it was really 
<clears throat> really stressful and, and exhausting because what I wanted to do was, you know, code and write Go and do all of this, which I did some of, but not a lot because there was a lot of Python legacy code and all of that. So I was sitting in Hamburg in a hotel room talking to my wife on the phone and she said what I basically wanted somebody to say to me where she was like, you should quit. Like, this is not it. Like you don't, you don't have to pull through. So this was in month three probation period still in Germany. And I sent an email to Quinn Slack, CEO of Sourcegraph. I sent an email to Quinn Slack and I was like, Hey Quinn, does the offer still stand? And he replied within hours, like, yes, our offers don't expire. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. So then the accident again, I was like, or he asked me, I don't know if I asked him or he asked me, I'm not sure. But turn out, both of us were going to .go conference in Paris the next week. And we said, let's meet at that conference. So then the week later, I met him and, you know, I told him, hey, man, like, it, it's not working out. And he's like, man, I'm, I like your books. You should come work for us. You know, we would love to have you. And I said, yeah, you know. I haven't, I haven't written more than 200 lines of code in like the past three months. And he laughed. He's like, you can, you can do this in a day here. Like, come over, you know? And I talked to a bunch of other folks, you know, Loic, for example, also still at Sourcegraph at that, com at that conference. And every conversation made me walk away with a smile. I was like, yes, like this, I like these people. I like talking to them. This is enjoyable. They get it. Um, and then, you know, I said, yeah, let's do it. And then in April, I flew to San Francisco to onboard and join the company. And yeah, it was everything I wanted it to be. Uh, everything I wanted it to be. It's, it's pure tech company working on a developer product for other developers connected to some of the best software companies in the world, our customers with people from, you know, ex-Google, you know, ex-whatever fantastic software company name comes up. They were, you know, at Sourcegraph, I was starstruck, you know, like, oh, man, I couldn't believe it. You know, here I am in San Francisco, a guy from small town Germany, <laughs> you know, working for this company. And, yeah, so it was, I went nuts. Like, I wrote a lot of code. And Quinn was encouraging everybody. Oh, it's it's still a huge value at Sourcegraph, you know, high autonomy, ownership, um, high agency, and he was like, "Hey, uh, it clicked for me after a few months where we had a conversation, me and Quinn, and he was saying, treat this like you know it was one of your side projects, like one of the books.' And then it clicked for me, and he and I realized, oh. This, this is what it means to be a senior engineer. You need to think like you are the CEO of this small thing that you are given ownership of. You need to think of a lot of things. Like how do we do docs? How, what's the customer do? What, what's, how do we demo this? How do we test this? How do we roll it out? And I went nuts. You know, I did all of this and it felt great. You know? and, and you're there still today. So you've been there now for nearly, four, nearly four years. years. Yeah, I, I, I love everybody over there. When I used to travel to San Francisco, I'd almost see if I could sneak into that office and have lunch with, with um, 
everyone over there. Uh, it is. It's a great positive environment. And the tooling you're building is invaluable. When I with with Go, I, I you know, I work in Go every day, so I'm I'm comfortable there. But when I have to look at code in another language, uh, I think SourceGraph has saved my my butt so many times in terms of time, right? Like just bring it up in the browser on GitHub, and especially you know like Node projects, which are a nightmare to kind of navigate for me personally. SourceGraph is just amazing, dude. I, I, uh, absolutely amazing productivity tool. The even the, the the idea of it is super interesting to me. Like I never really would have thought if they had come to me when they started and said we're going to do this. I'd be like, like I don't get it. But now, like, I I'm grateful they got it when they did. <laughs> what aspects of the system are you working on over there? So I started out working on the backend team this was when i joined we were 18 people 20 people so now we're oh man uh, somewhere between 250 and 300 right now i guess so we we grew a lot in the past three years so i started out being a backend developer on the backend team and doing backend go stuff um everything from cli to database stuff and whatnot um which also you know my previous experience comes in handy and then I joined the batch changes team as a founding member of that team. And we built a completely new product for SourceGraph called batch changes, which allows you to change code in thousands of repositories. Um, and, you know, I was the, I guess you can call it tech lead or whatever, interims, anything on that team. This was the moment where yes, I should do everything. And yeah, we grew that to now pull in re really good numbers in AIR. Like, I'm quite proud of this, that this, what the team did, what they're still doing and the product. And, you know, one of the best things I did in my career. And then last year, I joined the Code Intel team to get closer to like all of that good stuff, the compiler stuff. But then our company grew so big and we had to do a tiger team and I got promoted to staff engineer. And now I'm basically a, f I don't know, free floating staff engineer. And I help out a bunch of other teams and try to anticipate problems and fix problems before they become big problems. And now I'm working more closely with two teams, which are closer to actually the backend team that I started in three years ago. So I'm full circle. I'm now the staff engineer trying to help two other teams, um, you know, f fix scaling issues right now for huge customers. And you're still, you're still a hundred percent interested in all the work. And there's a lot of, a lot of challenges there that you're, that's awesome. I mean, cause you've been there a long time. Normally you get, Normally you get bored by now, and and it's fair. Like you know, Quinn or Vanessa's listening. This is just it's just reality, right? At some point, you get bored with the problems. I think what um, what changed for me is maybe it didn't change, but maybe it was always this. But f the tech is not the only interesting thing here. I also am really interested in the business and how the business is doing and how we scale up and you know the the numbers that we're doing. So. For me, engineering is means to an end and the end is building a successful business. And that business so far hasn't become boring. <laughs> you know, it's 
it's a, it's a fast growing successful startup selling to some of the world's most impressive software companies so and you're you're super young so i'm getting a sense from you that you're super young man you're, you're i'm 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 34 that's you're you're young okay so <laughs> you're you're actually about to enter into your prime for starting your own business so i i get this sense that you're going to you you love the tech and knowing how everything works underneath the covers but you also love the business side and, and understanding how it all works i get this sense that i'm going to see you by the time you're 40 starting your own business uh, i just i think you're like looking for that product and it's going to happen but am i am i way off you're not you you're way off if you think i'm going to start a a startup and employ a bunch of people to build a product. I I think what is not too far off is kind of what you are doing in to go back a little bit, what really the other well, maybe the most but the thing that I'm most proud of is publishing, self-publishing these books. And they're doing surprisingly good numbers. Like every time there's a hacker news post something, something compilers, somebody in the comments mentions my books. And I'm sure you understand. It's like I, I wrote these books on my own. I didn't even have an editor, which means the first versions had a bunch of typos in it. I built the website on my own. I wrote the blog post. I marketed this. I ran around .go conference and handed out flyers for the book. And then suddenly I get money coming in from people buying these books. And I have full, full control. Of, I, I did everything from start to end. And this is so incredibly fulfilling to, to, to know I created something that people pay money for and there's no intermediary. It's, yeah, you build something and they ask you, where can I buy this? And then they buy it. So this in combination with that, I really like to find a thing that I do not understand. And then I bump my head against it for as long as it takes to figure out how to build it. And then I really like explaining what I figured out. So if there was in any way, the possibility that I could do this full time and also get paid for it, where, you know, in, uh, Torsten, uh, this this year you write a book about how databases work or something like this, right? And then the next year you this, and the next year you that. And still having that full control and also because I'm vain having my name on it and stuff like that, that would be my dream scenario. But I do think that, you know, Sourcegraph pays well <laughs> and and books don't, I guess, pay as well as that in, in, in most cases. Uh, and I'm also not sure whether... Yeah. So uh, I'm going to say this. We only got a couple of minutes and we should talk because yeah. <laughs> one of the things we do at Arden is we have a business engine already to, to market and sell training. The, there's no money in books. Uh, just if you write a book, don't do it because you're going to get rich. You do it. So you say you wrote the book. You know that already, right? There's, there's no real well, there's money. Some in money. Books. There's some money in books. Some but, money. Yeah, but... it's, it, it's not full time. You're not going to retire on a book, but there are good budgets um, for corporate training. There are budgets out there for that. You just have to have 
the right material at the right length um, that's going to allow people to be more productive when you're done there's there's money there so you know one thing I'd love to explore with you is maybe maybe we can put together a two or three day sort of training where you just have to show up and teach it and 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 there's money there like I think if that's what you're interested in that's the direction I've done this with um, several people uh, in the go community where we're um, you know we have the, the debugging class now right where Derek is teaching how to use Delve in all these different ways super super cool and uh, things with Kubernetes and Terraform so we should talk because um, even if we just get you started and then you completely jump out on your own the, the key is the key is um, that's where there's some money to be made now the problem though is you have to live on the 30 60 90 <laughs> net right you don't get paid right away but uh but um I, I think it's really interesting that you're thinking about um, being able to be an educator full-time and, and make a living you can definitely do it and the material you have is great I like writing I like I like the medium of books. I, you know, I also thought about doing some screencasts and video stuff, but I have to say, and this sounds ridiculous, but well, audiences, developers, they get it. But video editing is table flipping for me. You know, it's, it's, I, writing is, I can use Vim. I can write words into my editor. I can use Markdown. I enjoy this. I like typing. I really do. I like sitting in front of a dark screen in the morning and type words into this. Video editing, I do not like because I'm not good at it. It takes a long time. It's slow. There's no real feedback loop. And it's... It's tedious and time consuming. Exactly. I exactly. I, I get it. I get it. But So, so that, that's my superficial reason for why I'm, uh, you know, screencasts and video courses... See, this is where I can help you again, man. I can help you with this. I got yeah, an entire engine for this stuff, though. Uh, we need to talk. But I, I yeah, I, I love, look, we're, we're out of time here. So I, I, I just want to say I, I love this story. It's, it's actually a, a unique story. I, I think your story's really unique with a lot of the stories that I've heard. And um, I, I love kind of what you did, how you continue to move forward. Uh, in your life and in your career and and i think you're at a great place and uh, i wish we could explore the compiler stuff we're at it we're completely out of time because i find that fascinating i i keep thinking in the back of my head you're going to end up on the compiler team at go <laughs> but, well put in uh, put in my name there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right russ uh you have a you have somebody here that wants to learn compile I mean, that would be kind of cool though wouldn't it to to get on the compiler team I guess they wouldn't take me. I don't know. Like, I think there's, uh, I'm more an amateur in the field. You keep saying that, dude, you keep saying that and then look at kind of where you are today. So you got to stop saying that. <laughs> yeah, right? but yeah. yeah. I no, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You're, you're doing technical work that, that people with lots of education can't necessarily do. So it's, it's not about that. It's about having a propensity for it and, and, and really, wanting to learn and you've shown that so so all right so we are out of time man if anybody wants to reach out to you uh, after listening to the show what's the best way thorsten um thorstenball.com you can find my email address there or twitter thorstenball um too often on twitter but <laughs> yeah you can find me there 
All right, this is awesome. So this is the On Labs podcast with Bill Kennedy and Thorsten Ball saying goodbye and hope to see everybody again real soon.